we Americans are fiercely individualistic. Um, being individualistic, the idea that, you know, I get to do what I want and no one can really tell me, you know, what to do, that's kind of become a hallmark of American society. And we can all relate to this on some level just because it's so deeply ingrained in our culture. Um, for instance, I'll bet there is something at home, a chore, uh, the way things are stored or arranged. There, there's something that you just feel incredibly passionate ab about it being done a certain way. Um, and and it, if somebody really pressed you to why you it should be done that way, you would just say, because it's the right way. And the reason you believe it's the right way is because it's your way, and your way is the right way. Uh, one of the things that I feel pretty strongly about is how to load the dishwasher. This might uh, come as a surprise to some of you, but there, there's a right way to load a dishwasher, and there are many wrong ways to load the dishwasher. And the right way to load it is my way. Uh, you see, my propri proprietary system for loading a dishwasher maximizes the number of things that can go in the dishwasher while also uh, focusing on positioning everything in, in such a way that it maximizes uh, the chances that everything will get thoroughly cleaned. And uh, that's mine. Okay, And some of you are like, that's weird. Uh, it's a really weird thing to really go all in on with your emotions. Um, so, okay, but that's okay. But you have them too, okay? Maybe it's the way um, towels should be folded. In fact, let me know what yours is, okay? Let's put it in the comments. Let's let's see what some of the things that we are uniquely passionate about um, having done a certain way, uh, what those things are. Um, so let us know in the comments. Um, but maybe it's, you know, how the, the, you know, the toilet paper goes over or under. Um, you could say, okay, well, when you put cups away in the cabinet, the cups should go, you know, open side up. And you say, no, some of you go, no, open side down so dirt and stuff doesn't get into it. And, uh, you know, everybody's got these we, these weird quirks. Um, something I feel probably even more strongly about than, you know, how the dishwasher is loaded is that anything that, sh that gets bought for, you know, cooking purposes or eating purposes, anything that we buy should be able to go in the dishwasher. Um, I think, you know, it just drives me nuts because hand washing is just the worst. And also, we live in the future. Like, why why would things even be made now that, that can be hand wash only? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Shouldn't there be a way around that by now? Shouldn't we be able to design everything, make anything to be able to go in the dishwasher? And I just feel, uh, I, I get a little bit worked up about it sometimes um, because for me, that's a big deal. And again, the the thing is, for a lot of us, when we feel strongly about something, because of this individual individualistic culture, um, when we feel strongly about something, we just kind of automatically think that we should get it. We just kind of automatically assume that our way is the only, the main way. Um, but I've learned upon getting married that that is not the case. Uh, you know, Abby, she doesn't care what goes in the dishwasher or what can't go in the dishwasher. In fact, when she buys stuff for the kitchen or you know, things for the kids, that is the furthest thing from her mind is whether or not it not only can be dishwashed, dishwashed, only, not only can it go in the dishwasher, um, but does it fit in the dishwasher? She's done that a couple of times and it, and it just drives me nuts. And, and some of the, our biggest disagreements as a married couple have come because she insists sometimes on getting things that do not uh, fit in the dishwasher, which I mean, if that's our biggest thing, it probably means our marriage is doing okay, right? Um, I remember, though, when we went uh, shopping for our wedding registry, and this was before online registries, and so you, and you can still do it. You can go around the, the 
the store, they give you this little scanner and, and you just kind of bloop, bloop the things you, you kind of think, I would think I'd like that. People should get me that for getting married. And, uh, and we get to the pots and pans, right? And she found this, this set and she's like, oh, I really like these and they're a good brand. And okay. And so I was looking at them and reading the box and it was like, not dishwasher safe. And I, I just thought, oh man, no, we don't want those. So I kind of looked around for another minute and, and I found a, another set that was similarly priced but it could go in the dishwasher but they didn't look as nice and they weren't that you know really good brand that you know she the other set was that she picked out and um, believe it or not we didn't get the dishwasher safe dishes and to this day there will be a pan that sits on our stove for days and days as I just dread the idea of hand washing it um, because again, it's the worst. And so, you know, it's silly that that's my, the thing that I get upset about or that I get worked up about that I feel passionately about. Um, but I think we all have things like that, you know? Um, and, and the reason why is just because we've just been ingrained with this idea that I should get what I want, that, that my life to some extent, I should be able to cater and, and, and manipulate the pieces and, and parts of my life to be the way that I want them to be. Um, the other day I read an article um, by a guy who's a, um, a, he helps churches kind of get unstuck type of thing. And so he works with churches and, and Christians and pastors from all over the world. So not just in, in the U.S., but everywhere. And he said um, that since this thing has started, this pandemic, that he's really, you know, kind of gone into overdrive trying to help churches navigate this really new, weird time we're living in. And he said when he talks to, to pastors and Christians in Canada and Britain, they look at the way the U.S. is handling this, and they're just dumbfounded by um, how much disagreement and division has been um, created or you know, has risen up out of, out of this whole situation. Because in those countries, they kind of have adhered to this, well, we just got to pull together and do what we need to do. Uh, he said like in, in the U.K., they, they still have kind of this, you know, almost like a, a recall of that World War II, like we got to, you know, we're all, we're all in this together type of a thing, right? And, and so they're just kind of amazed that, that we don't do that, right? And, you know, because you watch all of our commercials and they say, yeah, we're all in this together. But then you go on like social media and that is not, that is not the, the message that seems to be getting across when, when people uh, have talked to each other about how, how, the, how we should be handling this whole thing, right? And, and I think it really, again, comes back to that individualism. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. Or more specifically, I don't want anybody infringing on what I feel are my rights. Um, I don't want you stepping into my zone and messing up my, what I got going on over here. So whether my right, um, whether I feel that those rights are my rights to certain freedoms, uh, whether those that's my right to, to be healthy, um, whether that's my right to earn a living, whatever it is, we just don't want anybody messing with us. I want to do what I want to do. I get to live my life, and, and you shouldn't be um, able to kind of tell me what to do or interfere with that. And... And in a way that really only the United States could accomplish, we turned what has been a unifying event for most other countries in the world into just another excuse for division and anger. And and again, let me be clear, I'm not I'm not here to give any you know instructions or, or try to make a sta- statement about how this is being handled by the government or how or anything like that. Um, I mean, I really do just want to talk about how we as Christians respond, how we handle this in the church. Uh, that's why um, a few weeks ago, we started this teaching series called Christians in the Time of Corona. 
And this series is specifically about looking at what's going on in our world, how people are responding, and then asking the question, how, do, how should we as Christians respond to that? Like, yes, we all have kind of natural responses to the situation and things that make us angry or things that make us scared, but, but are our reactions appropriate for the fact that we are believers in Jesus Christ? And so we want to make sure, the, the goal of this series is to make sure that as we go through this, as we make decisions and as we respond as Christians, that, that we are doing so in such a way that we are recognizing that, that we are a, a resemblance, a reflection of Jesus in our world. And to help us kind of figure out how to respond in this, this tough time, uh, we've been spending our time in the New Testament book of Philippians. And um, we always call it a book, but Philippians is actually a letter written by a guy named Paul uh, to a church in the Roman colony of Philippi, thus the name Philippians. It was written to Philippians, uh, Philippian Christians specifically. And what makes this document uh, the perfect thing to look at for the season that we're in is because it was written from a guy named Paul, by a guy named Paul, while he was in jail. And and it gives us a really good indication of of how Christians can and should respond in seasons of struggle. And so hopefully, despite all the varying viewpoints of, of what's going on in our world right now and how it should be handled appropriately, surely we can all at least agree that this is a, a season of struggle. This is a season of difficulty. And so... Um, let me just highlight one thing that I've, I've hopefully tried to highlight throughout this series. If, if there's just, just, just one thing I can tell you about how Christians should respond it, like in light of how everyone else is doing things, and it's that Christians should respond differently. There are very few times when you should be able to look at how our culture is handling something and look at how Christians are handling something and find those two indistinguishable. The overwhelming majority of the time, Christians should look drastically different than everybody else. Um, we live by different standards. We live by different rules. We live by different um, meanings and different callings, and 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 they're they're just the, those the motivators behind our actions should lead us to act in very very different ways. And um, in the first week of this series, the way I t- said we should be different is that. Um, Christians shouldn't get overwhelmed with discouragement. And I, if you watch, and I watch a lot of YouTube and, and various things, so a lot of people, you know, doing something like this, talking to a camera, making videos like that. And there's just so many people who are trying to give pep talks and and really trying to encourage. And not that that's not what I want to do with some of this stuff and what we've tried to do when we get together at church. Hopefully this is encouraging for you. Um, but I just have gotten this sense that there's a lot of people who are incredibly discouraged, full of hopelessness throughout the season. And and that just should not be the Christian story. We shouldn't go, oh no, there's, we're, we're just stuck here. There's nothing to do. Life is over. No, Christians should understand that the church, our faith, has an incredible track record for survival. Um, God has seen the church through 2,000 years of plagues and pandemics and famines and everything else in between, tyrannical governments, right? Uh, strong movements just trying to stomp out the church and Christianity altogether. And yet the church has survived, and usually the church survived stronger for it. And, and so we should not necessarily look and go, oh, no, we can't meet in church. This is the worst thing ever. No, church is closed. Oh, no, what are we going to do? Absolutely not. Church never closes, right? We are the church. We are the people. Yes, we can't meet in our building at the moment, um, but 
our faith has not stopped. Our mission has not changed. And so rather than being overcome with discouragement, Christians should just be like, okay, God has seen the church through every other hiccup. Okay, so how do we how do we handle this hiccup? What are we going to do? What's our mission? How do we keep preaching Jesus in the middle of this? And we should get to work because our God is at work. And then last week, we talked about how um, Christians shouldn't be defined by being overcome by fear. Because there's a lot of scary stuff going on, but one thing that separates Christians from everyone else is that our our faith, our, 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 our level of fear, our level of comfort with our world is not determined by the circumstances that are happening around us. Our security is not based on things being good all the time. Our security should be based on the fact that we have a Savior who rescued us from our sin and has made us promises that one day we will exist in a life of perfection beyond this world. And so rather than being given to fear, we as Christians should cling to the fact that we have things in our lives that cannot be taken from us, things that we have been given by our Savior that cannot be taken. Now today I want to talk about what is perhaps going to be the hardest thing uh, for Christians to do, especially living in our individualistic me-focused culture. That only makes it harder. But it's this. The Christian faith and the church should be marked by unity. The Christian faith and the church should be marked by unity. Um, As the Apostle Paul is talking and encouraging the Philippian church in, in, in a season when he's in jail, again, there's persecution. That's a real thing for them. They could be thrown in jail and killed and and all of that, um, and as he's talking, that one of the one of the the recurring kind of mini themes of the book of Philippians is is this repeated call for unity. It happens several times throughout the story. Um, we're only going to look at at one verse today, but it is so rich with with meaning, and and it does have two in one verse, two calls to unity right in there. So if you want to go ahead and get a Bible, the verses will be on on your screen. Um, We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Um, If you like having a Bible open, that's great. Um, If you want to use a Bible app, I would recommend having one of those on your phone just so you can read the Bible every day. Uh, This past Sunday um, on Facebook Live, I did a little, or not, gosh, this past Sunday. It was this past Tuesday. I uh, did a little thing on tips for reading the Bible. And I think technology is your friend. And so you need a, uh, I think an app on your phone is is good because you can set little reminders to pop up throughout the course of the day to remind you to get a little more Bible in your life, a little more scripture. Um, so um, let's go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, um, there's something a little bit lost here in, in the translation. If you don't know this, the, the New Testament was originally written in uh, an ancient dead form of, the, of Greek called Koine Greek. And there's a fun you know, Jeopardy kind of question for you to put in the back of your brain. Um, and sometimes translating from one language to another is just tricky, and they try to make it as readable as possible, but occasionally that means something gets lost. And so when it's talking about um, living your life in such a way or let your manner of life be, um, the the way that the, the word that's actually translated to all of that um, literally means live as a citizen, live as a citizen. So live as a citizen of where you are, where you live. 
Um, and to the Philippians, that would have meant something because they were an incredibly patriotic town, most likely. Um, the, the colony of Philippi was filled with retired Roman soldiers. Uh, these were people who put their life on the line probably for years um, for their belief in Rome, for the cause of Caesar. I mean, they, they probably really, really were patriotic and loved uh, the empire in which they lived. And so when they had finished their service, oftentimes they would, if they weren't already Roman citizens, they would be granted citizenship for their service. Sometimes they were gifted pieces of land where they could go build a house and, and have a family and you know live their life. Um, and so Philippi was one of the places where a lot of these soldiers ended up. And so they were a patriotic group. And so to live as a citizen, they that's what they thought they did. They That's what we do. We are Romans through and through. And just like being Americans, there's certain aspects of our culture that just bleed into how we are, who we are. For us, I'm talking about this individualistic, me-focusedness. Like, that's just something that, it's kind of a part of us. Like, we don't have to be taught it. It just kind of seeps into who we are by default because it's so a part of our culture, right? And so the Roman people, the Philippians would have been the same way. And so when it says live as a citizen, Paul is saying, okay, you're a citizen of Rome, but live as a citizen in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Meaning that um, as we live here, we can't just live like everybody else. We also have another standard to live up to honoring and glorifying Jesus. Um, because you see, Christians have a sort of dual citizenship. Um, actually, later in Philippians, in, in chapter 3, verse 20, Paul is going to tell them, uh, tell Christians that they need to, um, that they have their citizenship in heaven. He says, You're, you guys, you Christians, the Philippian church, your citizenship is in heaven. And so as Christians, we have kind of dual citizenship. Citizenship here, wherever we're born, you know, the whatever's on your front of your passport, and citizen. In heaven, citizen where we will one day go to be with Jesus and we will begin an eternity of joy with him forever. And, you know, so for the Philippians, they were citizens of Rome and citizens of heaven. For us, we are citizens of the United States and citizens of heaven. And so it's it's basically saying, as you live as a citizen of the U.S., you also need to live in such a way that your citizenship in heaven is obvious. Like, as you live in the U.S., as you live in Illinois, you need to make sure that the things you do, the, the things you say, the way you live reflects Jesus. It honors him and shows people his love in your life. And, and right now, I got to tell you, I think there's a lot of people who are focused on handling this um, pandemic situation from the viewpoint of being an American citizen. Like there's a lot of people like it's un-American to do this. It's un-American to do that. You'll see that kind of tossed around a lot or it's illegal. It's against the constitution or it, or it's in, it's, it's to be, you know, at the, the heart of loving your neighbors as an American, like that kind of stuff. Like there's a lot of people who are looking at this situation from what it means to be an American. And there's a lot of disagreement of what that looks like and how to handle this from the viewpoint of being an American. But what if instead we used our citizenship in heaven as the basis for how we handled this? Because ultimately, and not everybody loves hearing this because we're so patriotic ourselves, just like the Philippians probably were, but ultimately our citizenship in heaven is more important than our citizenship here because our time on this earth is temporary, but our time with Jesus is eternal. So what does it look like to live as a citizen 
of heaven throughout this painful season, to live here on earth in a way that honors and glorifies Jesus. Well, the Apostle Paul goes on to tell us in the rest of the verse. He says, So only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he says, So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So the first kind of little bit there, that's kind of or the, the middle section of the verse, he says, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you of you. Um, basically he's saying, if I get out of jail and I can come visit, awesome. I want to find you guys doing a great job honoring Jesus. If I can't get out of jail and I can just kind of get letters and information about you, great. I still want to hear the same thing, that you are doing a great job living your life honoring Jesus. And he, and he goes, gets more specific saying, here's the things I would like to see or the things I would like to hear in those reports if I can't get out. And the biggest thing Paul it mentions in, these, in this verse here is that he wants the Philippians to be reflecting unity. He wants them to be a united, cohesive church family, not given to division, not given to to fighting and disagreements and backstabbing and gossip or any of that stuff. He wants them to be united together. And there's two ways that that's mentioned. He says, first he says, I, I hope to find you standing firm in one spirit. Standing firm in one spirit. Um, some translations capitalize that word spirit and some don't. Um, anytime you see the word spirit capitalized in the New Testament, it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. Um, when it's not, it's usually referencing some other type of spirit. Um, like for the translations that don't capitalize it, they're, they're thinking, you know, the human spirit, you know, just we should all be one in our motivation and our human spirit. Um, either way, uh, I mean, honestly, this verse could go either way. Uh, um, there's nothing really specifically that gives us a clue for, for which one Paul meant. Um, but either, depending on, on, on how you read it, um, it doesn't make a lot of difference um, to the, the outcome here, okay? Um, the initial meaning would be different between the two. But either way, Paul is ultimately getting it. He wants the, the, the Christians to be united so that they would live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ as a church family. Um, the ability of, of Jesus and his spirit, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to join such a diverse group of people together and have them display unity, that's a powerful thing. When a church can come together, despite all the different backgrounds of people, like that that can, in a sense, preach the gospel to people, show, show people that Jesus comes to reconcile and make peace and, and to get, get us beyond ourselves, beyond our petty desires and cravings, and to cause us to lead us, to inspire us to work together for something better. Um, because the gospel is going to reach people um, from every financial level, every level of financial status. It's going to reach people from every race, people from every gender, people from every social status, people from every political category, whatever. I mean, heaven is going to be a very diverse place. Uh, we are going to spend eternity with people who are not like us in a lot of ways, most of them anyway. And so when we as the church family come together, despite our differences, and we put all that aside, and we work together for the cause of Christ, that says something very powerful about Jesus to our world. And so Paul says, I want you guys to stand firm in the face of any opposition, in the face of any difficulty, 
I want you to do that in one spirit. And then he says he wants them working or, or striving side by side in one mind. Um, the idea of having one mind means um, having the same attitude, uh, the same orientation of will. Um, it means that we all want the same thing, that we're all moving in the same direction. Um, it's that we understand that we all have a calling that exists beyond ourselves, that our faith isn't just this individualistic thing, because that's kind of um, what what our world wants it to be. They say, keep your faith to yourself. Don't push your faith on me. What's good for you is good for you. And, and faith is kind of taught from our cultural standpoint that it's this individualistic, me-focused thing, and I should just kind of keep it here to myself. But that's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is that Jesus died on a cross to save the entire world, and so we need to go tell the entire world. And so we have this mission that's bigger than just ourselves, where we go out into the world and we shine a light on Jesus. And so it's us understanding that together, all of us have this job to do. We all have roles to play in this ultimate mission of helping other people come to know the transforming power of Jesus. And the reason Paul uses these um, kind of, you know, get, get it together, almost like, sounds like a coach's inspirational, like halftime speech, like, you know, striving and standing firm. The reason he uses those is because the Philippian church was facing struggles and difficulties and problems. They were uh, living in the Roman Empire where it was technically illegal to talk, to, to talk about Jesus and preach Jesus. Um, they were, um, had, had people coming in um, trying to divide the church up, teaching things that were lies, saying, oh, that church stuff, that Paul, he, you don't, don't want to listen to him. Come over here and listen to me. There was all these forces trying to break the church apart to make people too scared to carry out their mission or to make people just drift away from their faith, whatever it might be. And, and so Paul is, is trying to convey that unity is not easy, but it is incredibly, incredibly important that we make it a priority. And it wasn't easy for them, and it's not going to be easy for us to be people of unity. I mean, in our day and age, it, is, it, it would be downright weird if, if we were a, a group of people who were well united. Like that, that in, in and of itself is weird. I mean, this, I mean, we've been saying this for years. Oh, it's a very divided time in our country. And it's gone on for so long. It's like, maybe this is a divided culture that we're living in. And I think it's, again, it's probably harder than ever to, to try to be united, even as a church family, because of all the different places and belief systems and perspectives that, that we're going to come from. And and if we don't change our perspective from our American citizenship to our heavenly citizenship, I don't, I don't know if we're going to move past that as Christians. I don't, know if, I don't know if we'll be able to remain united or if the division that exists in our culture is just going to find its way more and more into the church. Because if, if we're all about that I'm a citizen here rather than I'm a citizen there, we're going to end up letting the outside arguments and fights and divisions, again, find their way into the church. And so we're just going to be too busy arguing about whether Trump is the greatest president of all time or whether he's an abomination to the office itself. Uh, we won't survive this season in particular because we're going to be too busy yelling at each other about whether or not it's the greatest health crisis of our lifetimes or the greatest political hoax of our lifetimes. Um, we're going to struggle even to carry out the mission of God as, which is what we're, we're here to do. We're going to struggle to do that. 
because we're going to be fighting and, and calling names, you know. Um, there's going to be one group of people on one side uh, of, of, of the room saying, um, oh, you're scared to meet physically? Well, then you're a compromising coward. And on the other side, it's going to be, oh, you don't want to wear masks and you don't want to social distance? Well, then you're an uncaring moron. And I'm not saying that any of this is true. I'm just kind of sharing the, the different sides of different arguments that I've just seen playing out online, anywhere else in our culture. It's just an incredibly, incredibly divided time. And there's so many of these crazy examples of me versus you, us versus them that exist. And if we allow that anger and rhetoric and nastiness and, and the, the tendency to, to force false dichotomies uh, into the church, if we're going to allow all that stuff into the church, we're going to be unable to be a church at all. We're going to be unable to be united at all. And so we've got to look to our heavenly citizenship for direction. And Paul says that when we keep our eyes on our heavenly citizenship, that's going to lead us to unity. When we keep our eyes on Jesus, that's going to lead us to unity. And one of the things that, that we have to understand as Christians, in a, in a season when unity is not valued, when nobody is valuing unity, when everybody is valuing my, my team beating your team, my side of the argument beating your side of the argument, me being right and you being wrong, and then me celebrating it all over in, in a sarcastic way online. That's what our culture values right now. No one's valuing unity. But we need to be different. And unity must be a defining characteristic of the church. It's got to be. It's got to be. Because unity requires that I put my feelings, my desires, my wants, all that stuff on the sidelines. Because I have a bigger cause here to play a part in than just myself. Um, unity requires that I put Jesus ahead of me, the mission of the church ahead of myself. Um, unity requires that I put others ahead of myself. That I can't just entertain what I want, what I like, me, 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 individual all the time. I can't do that all the time. That's not honoring of Jesus. And so the question, like the, the questions we've got to ask ourselves are things like, can we set aside our preferences in order to stick together for this mission that we're called to carry for Jesus? Can we set aside our frustrations and our ang and, and the things that make us angry in order to show love and care for the other members of our church family? And and that's exactly the kind of thing Paul gets into um, in chapter 2. He starts talking about unity a little bit again. Um, and then he starts talking about humility. Because that's what, I mean, true unity requires humility. True unity requires humility because you can't, you can't be all me focused and still, and still be united. There's, there's too many fights that arise out of the individualistic mindset. And so we're going to get into to that aspect of things, the humility aspect, next week. But just to kind of give you a, a practical example of something that's going to be happening um, sooner rather than later is, um, you know, I've been seeing a lot of articles for churches and stuff, and you probably haven't seen this, but as a minister in the email newsletters that I'm signed up for and stuff, it's all this stuff on how to put together a reopening plan for your church. And and those things were relevant to most churches in most states. And then Illinois was the one that was like, everything's closed for a year. And it was like, well, how do we put a, together a plan of any sort when we're going to be closed? Well, um, I think it was just uh, Thursday 
uh, our governor um, removed legal restrictions on churches meeting. And so now um, we can kind of meet however we deem fit, you know. Um, and and so now actually it's kind of nice. We're at, we actually have what looks to be, I hope, a stable situation. And now we, me and the church leaders, we can all kind of come together and we can start to put together a reopening plan. But here's the thing about that reopening plan. You're not all going to like it. Some people will like it. Some people will not. Some will think it goes too far. Some will think it doesn't go far enough. Um, and you're going to be able to look out on social media and, and talk to friends, and you're going to see other churches that are, that are doing things that are differently than us. Some of them will be doing more strict you know, guidelines. Some will be doing looser guidelines. And you're going to think, why can't Loyami CC be doing it like that? But um, we're going to have to prayerfully and uh, carefully do what we think is wise for not only the safety of our people, um, but wise also to protect the mission of our church um, and the witness of our church in our community. And let me just give you an example of that, because um, I think a lot of people just think, well, just, I want to go back to church, let's open the church. Um, but given how divided the world is, the culture is, um, I know that there are significant groups of people in Loami on both sides of, of different things, right? Whatever the two side, whatever the argument is, people are on both sides, right? Well, there's a, there's, I'm sure there's a big group in our town that, that is scared of this, that still thinks everything should be slow and careful, that they think, I don't want to get sick, I don't want my kids to get sick. And they're looking at a church thinking, I don't want that church to open up and create a hot spot for this virus. And they might think, you know, if, if we open up, just if we were to just next Sunday say, okay, everybody come, no rules, we're just going to do church like we've always done church, uh, they're going to look at that and think, don't they even care about my family? What if they, what if they all meet and, and start an outbreak here? That's they would be mad about that. And there's certain aspects we need to take that into account. Is is being able to come back in our building and meet is that worth maybe the damage that it might do to our our witness to certain parts of our our community? And I mean, it's just a complex thing to think about. There's there's literally dozens of different factors that have to be considered from from cleaning to greeting to bulletins to Bibles to, I mean, all kinds of stuff that we got to think through and work through. And even though not everybody's going to agree, I, I do want you to, to know and to hopefully trust us to, to the, to, um, that we're going to try our very best to do what's best and to do what's best in a way that's wise and God-honoring and careful and loving. Um, but even if we don't all agree, we can still remain united. If we, even if you don't think, well, that's I don't love that. I have a different perspective of that. There's still a part of us that says, but this is my church, and we've got a mission to carry out, and so I, I can get on board with this, so that we can, um, we can continue loving people and 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 taking care of one another within our church family. Um, I'm going to make some concessions to what I want to do, what I'd like to do. Um, in order to, to do what, what these church leaders feel is, is wise and will enable us to better love people in the name of Jesus in this season. And so I just want to make an appeal for unity going forward. Um, I want to call you maybe to stop getting into arguments online because if anybody knows that you're a Christian, are you? I mean, you're dragging Jesus' name right along with you when you do that stuff. And are those fights worth it? Are they changing anyone's mind? Um, and, and just to watch the attitude with which you put things online and, and the words that you put online. 
I, I, I don't think that as Christians that we should um, be disrespecting and demeaning other children of God. They might not be believers, but they're still Christ's creation. He died on the cross for them. And so we need to be careful about that. And then when we look at our church family and we look at what we're here to do, to live and to, to do so in a manner worthy of the gospel, as a church family, we, we have got to model this thing that our world is ignoring right now, and that's unity. Because unity requires so many of the traits that make Jesus beautiful, that makes the church beautiful, that makes the gospel irresistible. Things like selflessness, servanthood, kindness, generosity, love, and commitment to a higher calling. Those are beautiful things, and unity requires each and every one of them. Unity allows us to use our diversity to better live out the mission rather than to drive us up, let it drive us apart. Unity allows us to be the best possible representatives of Jesus on this earth that we can be.